When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. everybody and welcome to another edition of Hangout the Holy Land, Land Grant Holy Land's flagship podcast. I'm your host Gene Ross and joining me as always is Josh Dooley and Josh, this is our kind of final off-season episode heading into the 2022 campaign for Ohio State. Our next episode will be uh, one final Big Ten preview, but it will also be our first game preview of the year as next weekend, uh, I guess the the following weekend from the weekend currently, um, will be Ohio State's first game of the year against Notre Dame. And so we are as close as we have been to college football, and it's getting real exciting. Let's go, man. Uh, I'm ready. These previews have been great, but we're less than a week away with week zero coming up. It's starting to feel more and more real. And I think this will be a fun one, too. I think uh, before the podcast, you and I both talked about the the interesting factors that go into the evals on both of these teams, Wisconsin and Iowa. So I'm looking forward to this, man. Let's roll. Yeah, for sure. And this will actually be probably our last week of uh, just one episode a week. We'll be going back to two episodes a week now. Once Ohio State gets back on the field, we'll have both preview and post-game podcasts for you guys uh, talking about the Bucks and what goes on on the field, off the field, all that crazy stuff as you know Ohio State gets ready for what should be uh, hopefully a national title contention team and a national title contention year. Obviously, you know, we've talked a lot about what's going to go into that, and we will get more into that later when we talk about Ohio State, or should I say next week. But this week, like Josh alluded to, we are going to touch on the teams that finished at the top of the West last year, and will likely both finish near the top of the West this year, if not at the top. And those two teams are Iowa and Wisconsin. And so without further ado, I think, you know, usually within these previews, we've had some stuff to talk about. Not a ton of Ohio State news coming up, which honestly is a good thing heading into the season. You don't want any really big breaking news stories or any injuries or stuff like that we talked about prior last week and and luckily Ohio State's been 
we're, we're focused, Gene. We're yeah. finally dialed in on two teams here. Yes, we are laser focused on the rest of the Big Ten, uh, rest of the Big Ten West, rather. And so we will start here with the Iowa Hawkeyes. Um, coming off the 2021 campaign, that was very successful. They finished the year at 10 and 4, despite having one of the nation's worst offenses. They started the year 6 and 0 with ranked wins over Indiana and Iowa State, both of which turned out to be pretty awful teams, which kind of just shows why the preseason AP poll is, is, is a silly concept in general. Um, they also had a big win over number four Penn State after being down 20 to 13 heading into the fourth quarter. They then lost back to back games to Purdue and Wisconsin, but then rattled off another four straight wins versus some bad Big Ten teams uh, before losing to Michigan in the Big Ten title game and then Kentucky in the Citrus Bowl. But as previously mentioned, the Iowa offense, uh, pretty dreadful. 99th out of 130 FBS teams at points per game at just 23.4. In their three Big Ten losses, they scored seven points, seven points, and three points. They were 10th in scoring offense in the Big Ten, 13th in total offense in the conference. And it really just continued a long run of futility for the Hawkeye offense. Brian Ferentz has been pretty miserable as offense coordinator dating back to 2017. A little bit. Yeah, Iowa hasn't had a quarterback complete over 60% of his passes since 2015. And uh, Spencer Petras, one of the worst quarterbacks in the country statistically. We'll talk about him more in a second. But the Hawkeyes overall would probably be you know, a really, really good team. They already were pretty good, but they'd be really good with even an average offense, wouldn't you say, Josh? Yeah, I think that's very fair to say. They're consistently reliant upon that defense, which has been good to great for a number of years. We can talk about their person, personnel decisions and the coaching staff, which I know we'll get to, but I think that's absolutely an accurate statement that they are just um, very heavy on one side of the ball versus the other, and if they can meet in the middle, I think they could be a perennial potentially contender, but it, they just haven't really broken through outside of a season here or there. Yeah, for sure. It's kind of the the anti-Ohio State where we've been saying for a couple years now, Ohio State would be, you know, a national title contending team if they just had an average defense to go along with their stellar offense. Kind of the opposite here at Iowa where their defense has been spectacular, but the offense has just been so, so bad. But speaking of that defense, you know, 13th out of 130 teams in the country allowing just 19.2 points per game last year. They were number three in total defense in the Big Ten, number three in rushing defense in the conference, number one in the conference and interceptions with 25, which was nine more than the next best team. They tied for fourth in the nation with 30 total takeaways, and that was really what they excelled at. They excelled at getting other teams to turn the ball over. It went a long way in helping out that bad offense, getting them some short fields and whatnot. They also had four defensive touchdowns, which tied them for seventh in the country. And they allowed more than 27 points in a game just one time, and that was in the Big Ten title game versus the Wolverines. So for all of their offensive shortcomings, this defense was incredibly impressive. Um, their their turnover luck was was pretty front-ended on their schedule. They didn't do as well towards the back end, and that was kind of the problem when they when they went up against Michigan in the Big Ten title game. But all, all in all, from the start of the season to the end, even with some banged-up guys like Riley Moss and some other guys getting hurt, this was a, a really fantastic defense, not just in the Big Ten, but on a national scale as well. And it's hard to argue against any of those points, Gene. I think in totality, you summed it up really well. My thing with Iowa, I'll say this. I give Kirk Ferentz a hard time, but he's entering his 24th season, and he has been really consistent and pretty competitive throughout. I just I don't know what the end game is by keeping him on for 30, 35 years. Um, it's kind of where it seems like they're heading at this point without some sort of trophy or just something to hang their hat on i mean i get being competitive year in and year out but if you can never really break through um i sort of question the long-term thinking there but 
it's better than the alternative. I was not going six and six on an annual basis and turning it over every few years. So that's good. They've got that uh, kind of cohesiveness. Ultimately, I think he's just doing himself and his team a real disservice by retaining his son as the offensive coordinator. I know we'll get to that unit, but the defense is going to be great. But they, you know, they struggle to throw the ball. They have really not gotten into the 21st century when it comes to offense. So, yeah, they're winning 10 games, but it's all dependent upon the defense. And when they get on these big stages against certain upper echelon teams, they've been smoked because they just cannot keep up offensively. So I I like Minnesota or I'm sorry, Iowa's roster to a certain extent, but you would just love to see them with a good offense. I think they could be that much more interesting if they could score points because then I think they could really give your Ohio States and your Michigans and your Michigan States a real run for their money in some of these title games. But I just don't know if we're going to see that ultimately. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I totally agree on Kirk Ferentz. Obviously, he's a good head coach. He's heading into his 24th season at Iowa. They've also agreed to a contract extension with him through 2029 when he will be 74 years old. So, you know, hats off to him for doing it for this long. And even despite having any, any real offense to speak of, the Hawkeyes are 26-9 and nine since 2019. So, obviously, it certainly helps playing in the West, but it's hard to argue with those numbers. They also have one of the, the best home field advantages in the conference at Kinnick Stadium. So, a lot of advantages going in, in Iowa's way. And like you said, if they could just, you know, maybe get a real uh, offense coordinator, maybe get rid of some of the the nepotism that's holding them back in that in that uh, in that realm, I, I might help out. But at the end of the day, you know, you need you need better quarterback play, which they haven't had, and you need to, like you said, get into the 21st century when it comes to offense because they're just not doing it. You said that they don't pass the ball well, but they also don't really run the ball all that well. They had you know a thousand yard rusher last year that we'll get to, but he only averaged 3.4 yards per carry. Um, they only average 3.4 yards per carry as a team, I should say. But so they didn't they didn't run the ball particularly well. They definitely didn't throw the ball well, and that's just not going to get the job done. You're not going to beat a team like Ohio State, a team like Michigan, or even like you know these days a team like Michigan State or Maryland if you're if you're only putting up 14, 17 points a game. It's just not possible. Even if your defense is some of the best in the country, we saw what happened when. You know, a team like Ohio State even went up against Clemson in in that college football playoff run when they had that excellent defense, but not as good of an offense. And when your defense is out there for too long, they get tired and they let up points. That's just what's going to happen. And so it's tough in this era of college football when everyone's airing the ball out to rely on a defense to keep you in games because the longer that they're forced out there, they're going to make some mistakes. They're going to let up some points. And if you can't put up, you know, twenty eight to thirty five points with, with ease, you know, on a, on a consistent basis, it's going to be hard to beat the better teams. It's almost like we're getting upset over Iowa's lack of big-time success, but I think that just speaks to the fact that we see the potential in this team and in this roster to be 11, 12, 13 wins on an annual basis if they could complement that defense. So it's a tricky evaluation. It certainly was for me. But all of that being said, even with their offensive struggles, I do think that they will continue to be competitive. And I see a lot of wins for them on the schedule this year, which I know we're going to get to. But yeah, just overall interesting team, hard to gauge where, where they're going to end up in the West. But being on that side of the ledger is always going to give them or presumably always, always going to give them a fighting chance. Yeah, definitely. So let's look at let's look at some of this year's roster. What Iowa's got coming back this year. Um, the Hawkeyes could definitely use some major help at quarterback, but it, it doesn't look like that's going to be the case this season. 
Uh, Spencer Petras returns after. I'll was, do it, Gene. I'll yeah. do it. I, I might have some eligibility. I'm not too familiar with the Iowa area, but if they're going to give me some NIL money, I think I can hit 60%. Yeah, I, I don't think that's a bad that's a bad idea. And if you're hitting 60%, that's better than what Petras was doing last year because he completed just over 57% of his passes with 1,900 yards, 10 touchdowns, 9 interceptions. He averaged only 6.5 yards per attempt, which is really, really bad in college football. You know, For comparison's sake, obviously these two teams aren't on the same level, but a guy like C.J. Stroud averaged 10.1 yards per attempt. So you know he's averaging close to a first down per attempt, and, and Petras isn't even close to that. His backup, Alex Padilla, wasn't much better. He could Completed under 50% of his passes for 636 yards with two touchdowns and two interceptions in, in limited action. So help is certainly not on the way um, in that realm. And in addition to bringing back two bad quarterbacks, they also lose 1,000-yard rusher Tyler Goodson to the NFL I mentioned briefly, as a team, uh, they Iowa averaged only 3.4 yards per carry, but Goodson averaged 4.5. So the guys around him were even worse. Um, Gavin Williams is his likely replacement. He's entering his redshirt sophomore season. He actually averaged the highest yards per carry on the team of any player with over 20 attempts at 4.7. So, you know, getting back to a more reasonable and more respectable range, he had a really nice bowl game against Kentucky where he had 16 carries for 98 yards. So they like his potential back there. And as far as receiving options go, it's actually likely the strength of this offense if there is one. Um, tight end Sam Laporta returns, having caught a team-high 53 balls for 670 yards last season. Only had three touch- touchdowns, which somehow tied for the team lead as well, which is not something you want to see. But, you know, a classic Iowa, really good tight end. Sam Laporta is the next name on that list. Uh, they also bring back wide receivers Keegan Johnson and Arlen Bruce the fourth, who heavily contributed as freshmen last season. They combined for 43 catches last year, and they're both going to be expected to do more this year. They also still have Nico Reganey on the roster, another guy with some experience, 91 career catches for 1,000 yards, heading into his fifth season with the program. And, you know, interesting enough, just to round out the unit, the Iowa offensive line, which you'd expect to be really, really good, especially playing where they do, um, wasn't really that good last year. Despite having All-American center Tyler Linderbaum as the anchor, who is now off to the NFL, that the unit was dead last in the Big Ten and tackles for loss allowed. They led the 101st ranked run game in 2021. So you expect that unit to be okay because at the end of the day, it's still Iowa, but they lost their best player along that front and it already wasn't a very good front. So major question marks at some big positions for Iowa and, and at some spots, just guys where you don't have a lot of faith in them based on what they've shown so far in their collegiate careers. A guy like Spencer Petrus, you know, these receivers have some shots. Sam Laporte is pretty good, but there's just not a ton to be excited about on offense, and that's that's pretty troubling given, you know, you'd think coming into the season, Iowa would have seen what they did last year and what they're able to do on defense and said, okay, if we could just improve a little bit on offense, we'll be, we'll be right there. And it just doesn't look like that's really in the cards. It looks like it's going to be pretty much more of the same for the Hawkeyes. And I think more of the same is or was underwhelming. Even if we've sort of trashed this offense a little bit, even comparing it to what they've been in the past, you're right. It was underwhelming last year, specifically because of the line and Tyler Goodson. I, I don't, I don't think it's fair to say that it was Tyler Goodson's fault. He didn't have a great or the the usual great line in front of him. But it definitely underwhelmed, in my opinion. When I look at quarterback, their options, to me, rank in the bottom half of the Big Ten. You know, combined they passed for 2,500 yards. You spoke on Petrus, the 57% completion percentage. Only 10 touchdowns to nine interceptions. 10 touchdowns in a season seems unfathomable almost. But um, when it comes to Alex Padilla, his backup, it seemed like they tried to give Padilla the job, but he just wouldn't take it. He was around 50 percent. 
Um, couldn't really push the ball downfield. So they haven't had a terribly efficient quarterback really since C.J. Beathard. And it's difficult to win games when you just can't throw the ball. They tend to lean on the run game. You mentioned it. They lost Tyler Goodson. Um He had 1,400 total yards, but by his standards, I'd say he underperformed. Again, just when you look at yards per carry and things like that, they'll be getting back the the brothers Williams, as I called them. They're not really brothers, but Gavin and LaShawn, you know, they got about 90 carries between the two in 2021. Goodson really dominated the carries throughout. But you mentioned Gavin. He's the front runner, and he did play fairly well against Kentucky. Uh, he wasn't too bad against Michigan either, all things considered. I don't love the options, but they tend to figure something out where they can cobble together 1,500 to 1,800 rushing yards on the ground. So uh, I, I don't know that they're going to have a standout like they did with Goodson, but I think they'll, they'll they'll figure something out. They'll piece it together. When it comes to their pass-catching options, they get all of their top guys back but that's not saying a whole lot. You know, Laporta is the only real weapon, in my opinion, although I like Keegan Johnson. He was a four-star recruit. He was a true freshman last year. It comes down to can they get him the ball downfield? Laporta can sort of kill defenses underneath and with seam routes and intermediate things like that. Um, He had a breakout season with 53 receptions and 670 yards. In a couple of years, we'll probably be talking about him as like George Kittle, TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fant. They they always put those guys in the league. He's a good ball player, and he'll probably be on some of the watch lists. But yeah, for me, can they get it to their wide receivers? Can they get it to their playmakers in space or downfield to be more effective and more explosive? Past precedent tells me no, but we'll see. And yeah, the offensive line, I think they need to protect better. I think they need to run block better. But like running back, they tend to figure these things out. Last year was a bit of a down year. I see a bounce back for them. Uh, They lost Linderbaum, but Mason Richmond was pretty good at left tackle last year as a redshirt freshman. Jack Plum has some starts under his belt at right tackle. So the edges seem to be pretty set. The interior is a little wet behind the ears, as I would like to say. Uh, So that could be tough sledding. So I see more of the same, like you said, from this Iowa offense. They're going to lean on the run game, try and wear down the opponent, practice ball control. It really comes down to Petrus and or Padilla. If they can hit 2,500 yards on their own, kind of, you know, maybe even 15 to 20 touchdowns, which seems crazy, would be an improvement for Petrus in particular. So I'm interested in the quarterback position, but I don't have a ton of confidence in it. And I think that that is just the overarching theme. I don't have a ton of confidence in this offense. Yeah. You know, we've talked about these quarterbacks, you know, Petrison Padilla. I do wonder if, you know, a guy like Joey Labus, who is a redshirt freshman on this team, third on the depth chart, a quarterback, he's actually a Broadview Heights, Ohio native. He was the number 44 quarterback in the 2021 class. I wonder if he'll, you know, get any sort of chance to compete as the year goes on or even to start the year, just because of how bad those other two guys have been in their opportunities so far. I mean, it really, it can't possibly hurt. I know Iowa isn't really the type of school that likes to play the young guys like that. They're not a very, you know, 
risk-taking program, especially, you know, at quarterback, you want a guy that you know is going to be solid with the football, although they can't really, you know, they can't label either the current guys that are, are past the ball for them as that. But they're guys that aren't really going to take all too many risks. Maybe they'd be afraid of a, of a redshirt freshman doing that. But I wouldn't I wouldn't hate to see that guy maybe get a shot. You know, it can't, like, it just can't be worse than what they've had so far. And, you know, it's it's fresh blood in the program. It's, it's a new face. Maybe he'll provide a spark in some way. But I do wonder if he'll get, you know, any sort of shot as the third-string quarterback. It's interesting. I think it would come down to timing. You know, when we look at their schedule and we'll get more in depth to it later, but week two, they play against Iowa State. That's probably not ideal to throw a a fresh face into the fire. Goodness. And um, then, you know, week five is Michigan. So really out of your first four weeks, you're looking at not a, um, a ton of time to figure that out with the new quarterback. So they might be stuck, but you and I are not privy to all of their offseason. Obviously, we don't know how they've looked in fall camp and in fall practice. So maybe we're surprised, but I'm with you. I think that if the opportunity arises, it would not be a bad idea to maybe take a shot. Yeah, for sure. And, and as, as bad as the offense is, I expect the defense to be just as good as last season, albeit maybe not as as turnover prone. I think a lot of that just kind of comes down to luck, although they were very good at it. I think, you know, you can't really replicate something like that when you pick off a school record 25 passes. 11 different players actually intercepted at least one pass last year for Iowa, so it's going to be tough to replicate that, but Phil Parker returns at, at D.C., and he has done an excellent job with this Iowa team, and they return almost all of their key players from a year ago, including uh, their top three linebackers. The leader of the group is star senior linebacker Jack Campbell. He recorded an FBS high 143 total tackles last season to also go along with two picks and six pass breakups. He's joined by Seth Benson, who himself had 105 total tackles last year. Almost certainly the best linebacker tandem in the Big Ten, if not in the country. Um, they do lose Zach Van Valkenburg on the defensive line, who led the team with 15 tackles for loss in 2021. But they return Lucas Van Ness and Joe Evans, two guys who each recorded seven sacks last season to tie for the team lead. Um, Van Ness also had eight and a half tackles for loss just behind Van Valkenburg, and right behind him with Ev- was Evans with seven. So it should be pretty good up front. The front seven will be very solid, solid pass rush, very strong front seven as a whole. Um, they do need to replace a couple stars in the second. Secondary, but they get Riley Moss back, who's the big name back there. Uh, Fifth-year senior has appeared in 41 games, has 10 career interceptions, won the Big Ten Defensive Back of the Year award last season despite missing three games with a knee injury. He was just that good. He is their true star ball-hawking cornerback. They will miss Dane Belton opposite him, who led the team with five interceptions last year, but they return a few other guys in that secondary with experience. Uh, Jamari Harris had a strong sophomore season with four interceptions himself. Uh, senior safety Kayvon Merriweather has played in over 20 games in the last two years. So they missed some of the big upside guys, uh, upside of guys like Belton and a guy like Jack Horner, another safety from last year's team. But they still have more than a few capable guys in that group led by Moss. And just having guys like, you know, like Seth Benson, like Jack Campbell, like Riley Moss back, three big leaders in that defense. Um, I, I think this Hawkeye defense is going to be just fine. I'm with you. I love this defense. I think they're nasty. Like that's the best way I can describe them. Um, Jack Campbell and Moss are the stars, but like you said, they return a bunch of uh, just dudes in my opinion. Like that's what I would call them. They're just dudes on that side of the ball. They don't surprisingly generate a ton of sacks, but they are able to keep everything in front of them and they're stout against both the run and the pass. So you know, you look at it, they surrendered 19 points per game last year. And with most of those guys coming back, 19 is tough to replicate.
But if anyone, if any team in the Big Ten can do it, it's probably Iowa, maybe Michigan too. I mean, they're going to be tough. We'll talk about them down the road. But yeah, up front, every single guy is a fifth or sixth year senior, with the exception of Van Ness, who only tied for the team lead in sacks last year. Each of them played in 12-plus games last year, so a ton of continuity, a ton of cohesion up front. The linebackers, Campbell and Benson, I'm with you. One of the better duos in the country combined for 245 tackles last year. Campbell is a freak, man, like 140 tackles from the middle, but he's big. He's 6'5", nearly 250 pounds. You're talking end physique, but he's able to – um, you know, support in all facets of the game. He can cover a little bit. So um, he shouldn't be able to cover the ground that he does. But, you know, he finds a way to get it done. Named a permanent team captain, which is really cool. And earned a ton of awards and will be on all of the preseason watch list. So you can't say enough good things about him. Benson, on the other hand, is a smaller dude. He's like six foot, 230, 240. But he flies to the ball. And Justin Jacobs will be on the field a lot, too. He had 53 tackles in a part-time role last year. So front seven, I'm with you, is going to be good. The defensive secondary, interception city. You talked about the 25 picks last year. They led the country. uh, We're we're first in the country by a considerable amount. Dane Belton was really good for them, and he had five of those interceptions, but he's gone. However, the rest of the starters are back. Moss, he's the alpha. Ten career picks in just 30 games. You mentioned Harris. He came out of nowhere, really, and tied Moss with four interceptions last year. So good corner duo. Kayvon Merriweather, experienced guy. And I do wonder, I'm surprised you didn't mention him already. I wonder if we're going to see former OSU target Xavier Nwankpa get on the field. He was a five-star guy. A ton of schools wanted him. I think Ohio State was really in it until the very end. He could be a superstar for them and potentially replace Belton pretty easily. You know, I, I, I don't think he's projected as a starter right now, but I could see him getting on the field early and playing a ton and uh, potentially taking a starter role down the road. So as much as their offense stinks out loud, the defense is just so good that I think that they will keep them in games most, if not every week and so that's going to give them a fighting chance, especially in the West, like we've talked about. Yeah, definitely. And I, yeah, Nwankpa is a, a really good player. I would not be surprised to see him push for more and more playing time as the year goes on. You know, kind of like I talked about with Labus, this isn't really a, a program that likes to play those those young guys. Like you said, you know, almost the entire front seven is juniors and seniors at this point, at least upperclassmen. So I would be a little surprised if he's a, a starter right out the gate. But he is a player that, like you said, Ohio State was in on to the very end. It was likely between them and Iowa for his commitment, a player that Ohio State was very high on and a player that they deservedly were high on. He's a very good player. Um, and so it wouldn't be surprising to see him in that that lineup but yeah just just tons of experience across the board tons of talent across the board one of the best linebacker cores in the country what probably the best defense in the big 10 as a whole um and so you know for as bad as that offense is i think this defense is good enough to to still carry them through another good season because as we've touched on you know the west doesn't have 
all too many teams that could take advantage of Iowa's lack of scoring. You know, if you look at, you know, I didn't want to jump to their schedule yet, just yet, but just, you know, you look at some of the teams that they're going to be going up against, and it, it, there aren't a ton of teams in there that could put up, you know, 30, 40 points on any given week. So I, I really think that other than a couple matchups here and there, I think that Iowa will be more than fine just putting their putting the, all of their coins on the defensive side of the ball and just letting the offense be, you know, below average even. If they get all average offense this season, though, I, I think Iowa will be really, really good. I just don't have any reason to believe that that offense will be anything better than, you know, below average. But this defense, even with some of the losses they have, is going to be just as good as it was last season and probably the best in the conference. They remain old school, right? Old school Big Ten, ground game, strong defense. That's just the Ferentz mentality, I guess. And to a certain extent, it has worked very well for them. And as you alluded to, being in the Big Ten West, there's always going to be, uh, you know, the possibility that they are one of the top one, two, three teams on that side of the conference because they don't play the world beaters necessarily. Um, and just talking about the schedule a little bit more, they get Wisconsin at home. They get Nebraska at home. Obviously, they will travel to Columbus. Uh, I don't love that game for them, but some of the better teams on their schedule, they'll get in the friendly confines or at the friendly confines of Kinnick Stadium. You look at some of the other ones, they get Iowa State at home, they get Michigan at home. So if they can pull off a couple air quotes upsets because they're not currently ranked right now, they could be another 10, 11 win team knocking on the door like they did last year. It really does just come down to the offense and can the defense be as good as they were last year. Now, between the two, I would put my money on the defense being able to replicate their 2021 season. Um, actually, I guess both sides would, right? Because I also see this offense continuing to just sort of plod along. I don't know that there is going to be a big improvement from Spencer Petrus or in their ground game. So I, I view their success or lack thereof the same way I would have last year. If the defense can ball out like crazy, I think they get to double-digit wins. But if they take even a little bit of a step back, I think you're talking more in the eight-win range, if I had to predict right now. Yeah, let, let's let's take a kind of a dive into that schedule a little bit. They open the season, uh, their non-conference is against South Dakota State, Iowa and State at Iowa State and Nevada. And like you mentioned, you know, Iowa Iowa has owned the Iowa State rivalry. They've won each of the last six. They're kind of the the Ohio State of the Ohio State Michigan rivalry, where you know the, the Iowa State gets them once in a while, but this is an Iowa owned rivalry. And with the way Iowa State looked last year, I have no reason to think that that won't be the case again. So we'll give them three and zero in the non-con. They go to Rutgers, so I'll give them 4-0. Then they host Michigan, like you said. The, Iowa's always good for a home upset. I'm not going to you know, pencil this in as an Iowa win, but I, this wouldn't be an utterly shocking upset um, when this game happens. I'll be interested to see what the line is. We've seen what happens when a really good Big Ten team goes into Kinnick. Sometimes things just don't go the way you plan. So that will be an interesting one to watch. Um, then they travel to Illinois and to Ohio State. So obviously they're, you know, I'm going to pencil them in to lose the Ohio State game on the road. Um, if that was at home, maybe it'd be more interesting. But I don't know if they have the, the firepower to keep up with Ohio State's offense. And then they finish the season uh, home against Northwestern at Purdue, home against Wisconsin at Minnesota, and home against Nebraska. So you're looking at that schedule, and this is a team that could go, you know, nine and three without much of an offense to speak of. And if if Wisconsin's offense stinks this year, I think they could very well go ten and two in the regular season again with only potential losses to Michigan and Ohio State, and that's a damn good season if you're Iowa. 
Gene, do you feel like it has been a common theme with the Big Ten West where we're looking at these teams and we're kind of hedging our bets, right? We're like, well, if this happens, they could reach eight, nine, ten wins. But if this happens, they might be in the five, six neighborhood. I just feel like that that is the overarching theme to use that phrase again in the Big Ten West, because there are not a lot of teams that are, are strong on both sides of the ball. Uh, I'm with you. I, I think that Iowa is going to be successful, but if we see a step up from Nebraska, um, another good season from Minnesota, things like that, then maybe they finally take a step back. But as I say that, I look back at recent seasons. You mentioned the record since uh, like 2018 or 2019. Iowa just figures out a way. And so I think they do that again this year. But I I just do not see them being another top or having another top five or top 10 season like they did last year. I don't know how repeatable that is if you're not t- making big gains on the offensive side of the ball. So that's where I put them. Um, and I know it's not a g- great kind of response to what you laid out. It just, that's how I see this entire big 10 West is more of the same as uh, compared to what we saw in 2021. Yeah. The problem with the big 10 West is that somebody has to win the games. Like physically somebody has to do it. That is a rule. Yes. And, and Iowa has been one of the most consistent teams in the country to their own credit. They are good at what they do as long as they're not playing against one of the nation's, you know, premier offenses. And they won't have to do that in the big 10 other than Ohio state really. So I just, I believe in their ability to remain consistent. I think they're coached well. I think they have a really good defense. And I think that, you know, the floor for this team is probably a nine and three or an eight and four year. And that's really if, you know, the turnover luck just completely doesn't go their way. The defense takes a step back from last year. The offense is more of the same. Then I think you're looking at more of a nine and three, eight and four team. But I just think that they're, you know, they're too consistent to to fall that far off the table. I don't think the competition around them is very good. Um, And I just, I like this team more than a lot of the other Big Ten West teams we've previewed. And that's why I think that, you know, 10 and two is a very, very attainable goal. I think that's fair. And another thing that I was thinking of as you were kind of laying that out, I, I don't know what the Vegas win totals have been preseason, but I feel like those guys, those girls out in Vegas, Iowa makes it very easy for them. I feel like they can just pick a number between eight and 10 and write that down every year. Would you agree with that? Yeah, for sure. I'm actually, as you're saying this, I'm, I'm currently trying to find the, uh, the DraftKings line for Iowa's over/under and wins. Their over/under and wins is when was this from? This was from June second. The over/under for Iowa wins is seven and a half. That's, that's a little surprising. That's low. That seems like a bad yeah, line. I must not be a, a. I must not be a a great odds maker if I said pencil in for eight to ten. But yeah, that's that's why the number is so close, right? Because even a bad season, you're probably talking about seven. So you've got those odds makers basically asking betters and gamblers to make a decision right at one set number and in this case it's seven and a half i'll take the over now if that's still an accurate number i'll take the over on seven and a half yeah i definitely take the over on that we're going to talk about them in a second too wisconsin's over under is eight and a half and i don't think wisconsin's a better team than iowa so that's interesting to me if anyone's wondering also ohio state as i'm here is ten and a half so um if you're if you're riding the bucks i mean that that's ten and a half is odd. I mean, that really just that ten and a half line just depends on whether or not they beat Notre Dame because they're going to win, you know, all of their Big Ten games other than you know whatever happens in the Michigan game. But ten and a half means that there's a chance of a second loss in there. So I think they're kind of hedging their bets on the Notre Dame game. But we're not going to dive too deep into that. I just think it's interesting that you know Wisconsin has the higher of the win totals between them and Iowa because I think Iowa is a better team. 
Well, make your case. Uh, I, I think that's a perfect segue into Wisconsin, unless you have anything else on the Hawkeyes that you kind of, we compared those two teams. I think it's a perfect opportunity to get into Wisconsin. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yeah, works for me. Let's talk about them Badgers. Um, nine and four season last year with a team that was you know, statistically better on both offense and defense in Iowa, surprisingly. Um, they lost three of their first four games to start the year against Penn State, Notre Dame, and Michigan. So a pretty brutal stretch to start a season. Their lone win was against Eastern Michigan, but a really tough schedule to start things off. They then rattled off seven straight wins, including a ranked Purdue team and a number nine Iowa. They lost the final game of the season to Minnesota to miss out on the Big Ten title game. Um, had they won that game, they would have been 7-2 and in conference with a head-to-head win over the Hawkeyes. I mean, would have went to the Big Ten title game. They would not have beaten Michigan in the Big Ten title game, so it really didn't matter all that much. Um, they then defeated Arizona State in the Las Vegas Bowl. Um, but, you know, looking at some of the, the things that happened with this team last year, whereas the Iowa offense was 99th in the country, Wisconsin was a, a much, much better 85th out of 130 teams. Um, Ooh, did not, boy. Yeah, really good. Um, did not score more than 17 points in any of their four losses. Um, they were middle of the pack in Big Ten in scoring offense, but unlike Iowa, they were saved a bit by a rushing offense that ranked second in the conference at 211 uh, yards per game. Um, however, they were somehow even worse than Iowa in passing. They were 13th in the Big Ten um, in passing with only 160.2 yards per game ahead of only Illinois in that category. So for as much as we talked crap about Iowa's passing game, Wisconsin's was somehow even worse. <laughs> That's an amazing number, um, and I guess I hadn't written it down. I hadn't heard it out loud. That is just, um, wow, that's really bad. But, you know, I look at this Wisconsin team. I think they're similar in a sense to Iowa. They're seemingly penciled in for eight wins plus any given season. But if you just look at the last couple of years, they've fallen off a little bit. You know, they're coming off a nine and four season, four and three the year before that. They have not played in a Big Ten championship game since 2019, but they used to be a perennial Big Ten West contender. We we remember the battles that they've had over the course of time with Ohio State, but they have finished the season unranked in three out of the last four years. So just very recent sample size. Um, the defense and running game continue to be elite, but they can't score. You mentioned it, 85th and 89th the last two seasons in points per game. So not getting it done on that side of the ball. Again, like Iowa, they really need to try and move into the 21st century when it comes to offense. In my opinion, I'm not a college football coach or anything like that, but if they want to get back to that elite or near elite status, 
that's where they have to make their gains. So maybe the new offensive coordinator, I know we'll talk about him. Maybe that helps. But then I, I, who knows how much they can rely upon that typically stout defense losing eight starters, which is probably going to be a big topic for the both of us when we talk about their defense. So I wonder what the realistic expectations are for Wisconsin. And I also wonder if Paul Christ is meeting them. I know he had early success. They have clearly not bottomed out, nothing close to that. But if they have another eight-win season, you know, we're talking about a slightly above average football team over the last handful of years. So that's where I'm at with constant. For me, this is a prove it year for them. Would you agree with that? Yes, definitely. And I want to talk about uh, Paul Christ as well, um, as well as that defense. And the reason, you know, we're looking at all these stats, and I'm, I'm saying I don't think Wisconsin is good enough, is, a, is a, as good of a. I, I said I think Iowa's a better team than Wisconsin. And you're looking at the stats, and it's like, well, look at all the, look how much better they were than Iowa last year. You know, their offense was slightly better. Their defense, while, while Iowa got all the love on defense last year, Wisconsin was actually better. They just weren't as flashy, didn't have perhaps, you know, the same turnover luck. They were ranked fourth in the country, allowing just 16.2 points per game. The number one defense of the Big Ten in both rushing and and passing, number two in sacks behind only Michigan State, number two in picks behind only Iowa. They also allowed the fewest first downs in the conference, over over 30 less than the next best team in Minnesota, and just a really good unit overall. And so you look at all that and you say, well, why aren't they as good a team as Iowa? And as we're going to get to later on, it's because all of those guys are pretty much gone, and now you're coming back with you know the, the poor quarterback play that you had last season on that side of the ball and a worse defense. And you brought up Paul Chris, you know, he's coming into his eighth season with Wisconsin. And while he's 65 and 23 overall, which is a a decent mark, uh, the last two seasons, like you said, have been lackluster by program standards. They haven't won 10 games since 2019, which is not good when you're a team like Wisconsin playing in the Big Ten West. They have, you know, a pretty significant talent advantage over most of those teams on any given year. Um, The offensive side of the ball has been stale for years. They've had no passing game to speak of, really been saved by that rushing attack for what little offense they've had. Um, and I mean, they're still a team that's won six bowl games under Paul Chris, and they're six and one overall in those bowl games. But it just doesn't feel like they're they're getting any further. They haven't progressed from that spot, and if anything, they're they're kind of moving backwards. And so I don't think that you know they, they were a better team last year than Iowa. Maybe the record didn't didn't show it. Their their defense was statistically better. Their offense was at least passable. It wasn't good, but at least it, you weren't you weren't like crying watching it unless you know you were really focusing on what Graham Mertz was doing. But I shed a tear. Yeah, no, it, well, it definitely wasn't fun to watch in any way, but you know, statistically they were better than Iowa at both sides of the ball, but I just don't think they have the things coming back this year to, to make up for that, and I think this is, you know, you say it's a proven year. I, I think this could be a potentially troubling year for Wisconsin if, you know, that defense, you know, they always seem to put it together, much like Iowa always seems to put it together on, like, that offensive line and stuff like that. Wisconsin seems to always be able to put together a good defense no matter who's out there, but they have some pretty significant losses that we'll get to in a bit, and I think that for a team like Iowa – um, this Wisconsin team that relied so much on its defense, I think it's going to be really tough to do that again when you're losing so many of those key guys from that unit last year. Yeah, I think they are a little bit of a victim of their own success because maybe not you know a year or two ago, but recently they have been competing or were competing for a Big Ten title going up against Ohio State and teams like that, seemingly always giving Ohio State a difficult time uh, you know, throughout the 2000s, 2010s. So the the Barry Alvarez shadow kind of looms over that as well. And yeah, like they've had successful coaches since then. Even Brett Bielema, who I <laughs> kind of thrashed 
when we previewed Illinois, he at least had early success. But now you're looking at Paul Christ, and it's it's similar. Early success started to fall off a little bit. So I wonder if he's following the same trajectory. And yeah, I, I think if it's another seven to eight win season, well, not another. If they have a seven to eight win season, maybe even nine, that uh, administration and that athletic department might look at it and be like, hey, are we getting the best bang for our buck here? Because it seems like we're stuck in the mud. Yeah, stuck in the mud is definitely a good way to put it. And, you know, speaking of mud, let's talk about the Wisconsin offense. Um, they will be hoping new offensive coordinator Bobby Ingram can turn things around. And luckily for the Badgers, they do return. Their I want best. to talk about that, Gene. Yeah, go ahead. So. Bobby Ingram, I, I'm dating myself a little bit. I actually re- vaguely remember him as a wide receiver at Penn State. He is an NFL guy, but they brought him in as their offensive coordinator. He was a wide receiver and a tight ends coach for the Ravens. Now, position coaches can ascend and be wildly successful as coordinators. That's typically where guys get their start. But it's the Baltimore Ravens. And we've talked about this Wisconsin offense. What do they struggle to do? Throw the ball. What do, I can't say that the Ravens struggle to throw the ball, but they don't love it. You know, it's not their favorite part of playing offense. They love to run the ball, which Wisconsin already does well. So I don't know. I want to turn it back to you when it comes to just Ingram. Do you see this as a huge potential upgrade given his background? Yeah, I think that's a really valid point. You know, the Baltimore Ravens are not exactly what I would describe as a, as an air raid offense of any sort. Um, and like you said, you know, Wisconsin's issue hasn't been in running the ball. They've been really good at running the ball. They've had some really good running backs come through this program the last few years. They you know put some really good guys in the NFL at that position too. Um, you know, the guy we're about to talk about probably the next one on that list. But yeah, I mean, you bring in a coach whose whose specialty on that unit is you know he was a wide receivers guy, but that's a team that that primarily runs the football. And now you come to a team that really needs to improve in the passing game, and you bring in an offensive coordinator who has a ton of experience in running the football. It doesn't really seem like you're you're trying new things. You're, you know you're putting you're putting lipstick on a pig here in a way, and just you're bringing in a guy who's a fresh face, but he does a lot of the same stuff as your old guy, and maybe he has some new wrinkles. But here, maybe, maybe that's but may, maybe that's why he's successful because he played wide receiver and coach tight end. So I can see why they made the move. I just. I think it's fair to have questions or curiosity is my main point. Yeah, and we'll, we'll see how it plays out on the field for them. But luckily for the Badgers, um, they do return their best offensive player in running back Braylon Allen. Uh, the true freshman took the world by storm last season, rushing for over 1,200 yards with 12 touchdowns. He averaged 6.8 yards per carry. He had more rushing touchdowns himself than the team had passing touchdowns. Um, and according to PFF, he led the nation in yards against an eight-man box and yards after contact. So just a true star for them, a perfect player for Wisconsin to build their offense around. Um, but unfortunately for Wisconsin, they do bring back Graham Mertz at quarterback. Um, at one point, it looked like he was going to be the Badgers' <laughs> savior, uh, but hasn't exactly been the case. He has thrown 19 touchdowns to 16 interceptions in his first two seasons at quarterback. Last season, he threw 11 picks and fumbled the ball away an additional four times. He's going to have to significantly cut down the turnovers. He makes some really poor decisions, isn't the most accurate guy. Um, he really came out, I believe it was against Illinois in his first ever start, and he threw like 20 straight or something, completed passes. It looked like he was going to be the next you know, Russell Wilson for them, but it, it just didn't wind up working out. Um, and unfortunately for him, you know, Mertz won't have a ton of help at his disposal either when it comes to receiving options. Their top three pass catchers from last year are gone, including tight end Jake Ferguson. Um, 
Junior receiver Chimeri Dyke is the most experienced receiver on the roster, uh, but he only has 19. He only had 19 catches for 272 yards and one touchdown last season. Um, they do like redshirt freshman Skylar Bell. He's a guy that I think is a potential deep threat. Um, and they don't have your prototypical elite Wisconsin tight end. I'm sure they'll find someone because Wisconsin always does. Maybe it'll be six foot six senior Jack Eschenbach, but he only has five career catches. So you're not getting any more help there in replacing Ferguson. Um, but the offensive line should be good, as almost all Wisconsin offensive lines are. Uh, the unit's headed by center Joe Titman and tackle Jack Nelson. A lot of experience and versatility across the entire offensive front. Uh, should be more than good enough to get the job done there with uh, with Braylon Allen toting the rock. But, yeah, I don't – much like we talked about where Iowa, you know, they needed to find some areas to improve, and it looks like more of the same. I mean, Braylon Allen heading into year two is probably going to get even better than he was, and that's a scary thought. But I don't think they're going to get much in the air game from, you know, the combination of the guy they brought in to run the offense and the guy actually controlling the offense on the field. I don't, I don't love either of those guys in these positions. I don't either, and I was tempted to write down just Braylon Allen and be like, "That's all I got, Gene. Back to you." That is, that's um, really all you need. That's that is the Wisconsin offense is Braylon Allen, and that is it. Absolutely, but look, they've got to figure out how to throw the ball downfield. Allen and uh, Malusi, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, Ches Malusi. They can run the ball all day long, but their possessions don't lead to points. So. I'm interested to see what kind of wrinkles and scheme Bobby Ingram brings to Wisconsin. He does have good NFL experience, so TBD on that. At quarterback, Merch just hasn't been everything he was built up to be. I believe he was a five-star, and in his defense, he got a cup of coffee as a true freshman. Then he was thrown into a pandemic season, but still a ton of reps, right? And more interceptions than touchdowns last year, completed less than 60% of his passes. And it's not as if he hasn't been protected. He's typically always been behind a really good offensive line. So with his pedigree, it seems like the ability is there, but maybe the decision-making is not, or just the ability to you know, get through his progressions and just play quickly, I guess is the way to put it. And they don't have great options behind him. So I think it's it's Mertz or bust, really, at quarterback. The running back duo scares the absolute hell out of me. Braylon Allen is, he's nearly the same size as Derrick Henry, and he has great speed. You know, he joined the team as a 17-year-old and dominated. He is or will be on all of the preseason watch lists, as he should be. And Malusi's no slouch. He probably would have gone for 1,000 yards last year had he not missed a few games. So, Uh, And I think he even started or was the technical starter early on for them. So arguably the best duo in the country. And I have legitimate concerns when they come to Columbus. If we saw what we we did last year, right? If Wisconsin had come into Columbus last year, they may have run for 300 yards on the ground. Hopefully the Buckeyes shore up that side of the ball. We'll talk about that later. Wide receivers are on the roster question mark um look nothing against these guys but wisconsin's two projected starters combined for 287 yards last year i know they like skylar bell but he only appeared in one game last year and they just weren't impressive as a unit and i know they're also banking on kamir dyke i think i again i hope i pronounced that correctly and i i found it interesting that one of their like one of the guys on their two or three deep is dean ingram Now, he's Bobby Ingram's son, the offensive coordinator, saying, "Okay, great, probably knows what he's doing. And maybe he does. 
He started at nickel cornerback last year. That's on the other side of the ball, Gene. That's on defense. And now he's going to be a depth piece at wide receiver. So that does not say a whole lot about what they've got going on at that position. And you mentioned tight end, typically a strength for the Badgers. And outside of, um, was it Eschenbach? Outside of him, I don't think that they have another tight end on the roster with a catch in college. So you're right. They they typically find a way or find a guy at that position, but they are very unproven, but they are behind a proven offensive line. They're strong up front. Jack Nelson, I think I read where he's supposedly moving from right guard to left tackle. He was all Big Ten honorable mention as a guard and the number two recruit in Wisconsin a few years ago. So he's good. Tyler Beach might kick inside. He was a third time, a third team guy at left tackle. So I think maybe they're moving some pieces around. They've got Joe Tipman in the middle. At the end of the day, they just know how to play, how to play, and how to block. Um, that is one of the calling cards of this Wisconsin offense that they develop those guys very well. So again, similar to Iowa, I see more of the same. I do wonder if there is a small, small chance that we see Mertz take a leap, though. Do you think that's possible, Gene? Yeah, I mean, he can't really get much worse. So the only logical step is to get better. Um, but, you know, just laying out his options, I mean, Braylon Allen's obviously going to be a huge weapon, but I don't know if he has, you know, if he had some really talented wide receivers coming in or like some other guys that were, you know, proven four or five star commodities, then maybe I'd be more, you know, keen to give Mertz a, 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 some more optimism here. But there just aren't a ton of passing options here that really scare me in this offense. And so I don't know if that's going to make his life any easier. Um, so I am a little concerned about that. He, you know, this was a kid that was the number three quarterback in his recruiting class. So there is certainly talent there if he could put it together. But I think crazy that, to think about. Yeah, I think his life is going to be made harder though by the some of the the offensive weapons around him. But you know, surely the the Wisconsin defense is still going to be pretty good, right? Um, you would think, Gene. You would think, and they do have still defensive coordinator Jim Leonard, who is one of the best in the business. Um, he is, however, tasked with replacing eight starters from last year's defense, which is pretty concerning for a team that was held up almost entirely by its defense last season. But if anybody's going to figure it out, it would be a guy like Jim Leonard, um, who we may talk about more here in a bit. Um, but the defensive line should still be a stout group, especially up the middle. Um, they return senior nose tackle Keanu Benton, a tremendous run stopper at 6'4", 317. Uh, Isaiah Mullen returns as a, a 3-4 defensive end, also fantastic in the run game. That duo gives them a ton of experience up front. Um, however, with, with Wisconsin, most of their pass rush comes from the linebackers, so they kind of trust the the D-line more in that run-stopping role. And speaking of those linebackers, uh, most of the good ones are now gone. Uh, Leo Chanal and Jack Sanborn, two names that you likely know by now, um, the stalwarts of that excellent defense in 2021. Uh, Chanal, a second-team All-American, and Sanborn, a unanimous first-team All-Big Ten guy. Both are now gone. Uh, they do have a bring back outside linebacker Nick Herbig, who had a, a real breakout campaign last year, had a team-high nine sacks to go along with 14.5 tackles for a loss. He's very, very good. But other than him, there is not a lot of experience in that linebacker core, which is a big problem for you know a Wisconsin program that really prides itself on that position specifically. Um, and in addition, they also lost three stars in the secondary, including both starting corners. Um, their, own, their only returning starter back there is senior safety John Torchio, um, tied for the team lead with three interceptions last year. Uh, beside him, it'll likely be four-star Hunter Wohler um, at the other safety spot, whom they think could be a game-changer on the back end of the defense. But other than that, it's a, a ton of transfers coming in to make up the rest of the secondary. You've got you know Justin Clark from Toledo, Jay Shaw from UCLA, Cedric Dork from Kentucky, Bryce Carey from NIU. 
Uh, you know, just a, a couple guys that they're bringing in, hopefully, to, to shore up that room. Shaw specifically was a second-team uh, All-Pac-12 guy at UCLA, so maybe he could make some noise back there. But it's going to be interesting to see how this room comes together as the season goes along. I think the passing defense is a massive question mark heading into the season, but I think as a whole, this is going to be a group that's going to need some time to kind of come together and gel. There's a lot of new faces, a lot of moving parts here, guys coming in from other programs, coming in, you know, getting playing time for the first time really at a couple of these spots. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how this unit evolves over the season. I do trust Jim Leonard as, like I said, one of the best defensive coordinators in the country, but I think he's going to definitely have his hands full with some of the the roster construction he's going to have to do this year. A lot of unknown for sure. Um, It it was tough for me to even project how I think that this defense is going to perform because of all the losses. You know, missing eight starters is just, it's an insane number. So it's going to be a tall task for Jim Leonard. I do think that it would behoove him and the Badgers to go out and get a Watt. It seems like they've been pretty successful with that in the past. So They should um, certainly try that. I don't know why they haven't thought of that already. It it has tended to work out well, but yeah, up front, Benton and Mullins each played 12 games. They combined for 48 tackles and four and a half sacks. They've also got Rodas Johnson. He appeared in four games, so not a great sample size. I do like Nick Herbig. He's the standout linebacker. He did have nine sacks and 14 and a half tackles for loss. They use those outside guys as rushers in that defense. And Phil Steele put him on his preseason All-American list. So he also graded very highly by was very was graded very highly. Goodness by PFF. So just a good player. He took a huge leap from 2020 to 2021. The rest of the crew will be first time starters, although CJ Getz played quite a bit and Jordan Turner He had two interceptions in just a few games, so we'll see if they figure it out. The secondary is very, very interesting. You hit on it. I'm not going to go over all the guys, but just quickly, I wrote down the number of games that some of those transfers played. So Shaw played 43 games at UCLA. Uh, Justin Clark played 47 at Toledo. Cedric Dort appeared in 44 games at Kentucky, and I didn't write down the fourth guy who's projected in there too deep. You're talking about 150 games of college football experience. So they're short on time, but long on experience. So I think that they will cobble it together. Jim Leonard played defensive back. He knows what he's doing clearly. So I think that will be a strength for them, but a ton of bodies to replace. And that front seven is probably not going to be as strong as we have seen from them in the past. Yeah, I have a tough time believing this Wisconsin defense that has lost as much as they have uh, can replicate their impressive 2021 campaign. Uh, like I said earlier, they, they might get better as the year goes on, as the, the, everybody gets into a groove with one another, but it'll, it might be a bit of a struggle early on. Um, on the offensive side of things, I think it'll be determined by whether or not Graham Mertz can kind of salvage his career in Madison. You know, he had that early promise, but it's been a, a steep drop-off since. And so all of that Gene, I want together, to put you on the spot a little bit, and feel free to say absolutely not. But can you think of a guy, whether it's in the at Ohio State, in the Big Ten or whatever, that was a huge recruit, struggled and suddenly turned it on? Because spoiler alert, I can't. I I wanted to see if you could think of a guy who has had that career trajectory. But that's why I'm a little bit down on Mertz, because I can't recall seeing a huge, huge leap from a guy with so much experience. 
Yeah, I mean, usually for that thing to happen, it, it tends to you know take a transfer and you know being in a new situation, a new system, and you know someone yeah, that could fair. really better bring that out of you, maybe under a new coaching staff. I can't really think of. I mean, I'm sure there are, but I can't really think of one that was you know played their whole career for one team where they you know they start off good, then they they hit a, a you know a steep drop off for a couple of years, and then all of a sudden in their, in their later year they they had a miraculous turnaround season. Um, I think, like I said earlier, if they would have brought in, you know, some really high end wide receivers or had some high end wide receivers on the, on the roster, I think that could be different, but especially without, you know, a clear cut elite tight end and without, you know, really, you know, speed demons on the outside and some really the high flying type of guys you'd see at Ohio state, I think it's going to be a struggle for Mertz. If you threw Mertz in the Ohio state offense, I think he'd probably be fine. Um, but I just don't think they have that, that caliber of player at the skill positions around him at Wisconsin to really, you know, set him up for success. Maybe he could be better on his own, but I don't think he's in the best position for himself to succeed based on what's around him. That's a really good point. Uh, most quarterbacks are only as good as the weapons around them with a few elite exceptions, right? Tom Brady didn't always have the greatest weapons. Aaron Rodgers has never had a first round wide receiver, although he had Devontae Adams. So I see where you're going with that. And yeah, if you put him on the Ohio State roster, who knows? But it's, I think, a bit troubling that Wisconsin finally, or as far as I can remember, finally hit on an elite quarterback recruit. And he's really fallen well short of expectation. So that was a very unfair question seeing as though I didn't have an answer kind of in the holster. But yeah, I just, I don't see a huge leap from Mertz. And if the defense is not able to get it together very quickly with all the fresh faces, I I could see Wisconsin as a eight or nine win team. Again, similar to a record that they've had the past couple seasons. Yeah. Well, let's, let's look at this, this schedule real quick before we get out of here and let's, let's see where, where we're looking at here. So you got like very similar to Iowa, an easy non-conference against Illinois state, Washington state and New Mexico state, likely a three and start. I'd watch out a little bit for that game against the Cougars of Washington state. I think that game could be a little interesting. They have a very good quarterback, but, and especially, like I said, with, with the way that Wisconsin's defense is established, maybe they're not as good to start the year. And with that being the second contest of the year, maybe that defense isn't quite established yet, but I accept, I expect that, them to still go three and zero in that stretch. They then have to go to Ohio State, which I imagine is a loss based on you know where their defense is probably at at that point in the year. Um, then they get an easy two game stretch against Illinois and Northwestern. They go to Michigan State, which is kind of a toss up for me. Uh, Purdue and Maryland could also be tough games if the pass defense doesn't come together by then. Then they go to Iowa, uh, to Nebraska before hosting Minnesota in the finale. Um, somewhere along that road, I think they go you know either nine and three or eight and four. In addition to Ohio State, obviously, they have losable conference games realistically against teams like Michigan State, Purdue, Maryland, Iowa, you know, maybe a team like Nebraska takes a step up, you know, other teams like that. But there's there's legitimately five teams on their schedule that I could see beating them. So I think they probably go, you know, other than the Ohio State of that group, I think they probably go two and two against the latter and probably finish somewhere around the, the neighborhood of nine and three or eight and four. Losable games is a good term for it because if you look at the back half of their schedule real quick, Michigan State, Purdue, Maryland, Iowa, Nebraska, Minnesota. I don't know. And look, we're projecting two months in advance here. I don't know that I would pick Wisconsin to lose any of those six games. But as we stand right now in the previews we've done and and everything like that, I don't think we would be shocked if they dropped two, three, four of those games. Now, it would lead to a poor season overall, but 
that's the Big Ten West. And, you know, funky things happen with Purdue. Michigan State's a good team. We expect a jump from Maryland, at least um, with that elite or potentially elite offense. So there are a lot of variables there. Um, Nebraska and Minnesota could be improved talent-wise from a year ago. So I'm with you. I think they're probably an 8-9 to win team. But, yeah, like I would not be utterly shocked if they ended up around seven wins or something like that just because of the back half of their schedule. Yeah, and like could could Wisconsin compete for the West? I think it kind of all hinges on that road game at Iowa, which is not something that you really want your season to hinge on um, if, you had to, if you had to pick it. Uh, I think the Hawkeyes probably have the better defense of the two. I'd say almost certainly have the better defense of the two. Neither team is going to be able to do much of anything offensively. Wisconsin obviously has the best offensive player. of the Is it going to be Braylon a six Allen. to three final score? Yeah, it, it very well could be. I mean, you know, the only real offensive player on either of those teams is Braylon Allen, but I think Iowa's defense is much better. So I, I think a lot of, of, you know, Wisconsin's season is going to come down to that game on the road at Iowa. And that's not a position that you want to be in as a big 10 West opponent. I'm with you. And, and it's again, I'm going to beat the, beat the drum again. The West seems to be up for grabs because you've got teams that have been consistent and you also have some teams that we expect them to take a bit of a step forward or potentially uh, a larger step forward, i.e. Nebraska, who I I can see them doing some things. And we'll get to find out what sort of team they have in about a week or less than a week, sorry, in a couple of days. So a very interesting race, I, I expect on that side of the conference. And at the end of the day, we probably think that Wisconsin is going to be in it, but they have real competition just based on the fact that they have not been the juggernaut on that side during the last couple of years. Yeah, for sure. And I'm, I'm glad we kind of, you know, we, we did the, the big 10 West finisher here first. I think that ending on these two teams is a good place to end it because they are probably two of the favorites in this division. But as we've you've talked about, as we've kind of gone through all of these teams, the big 10 West, especially it is, it is very much a division that's up for grabs. One team could come out of nowhere and win this thing without it really being a shock. There's a lot of teams on similar footing on this side of the bracket. I think that, you know, Wisconsin, Iowa are at, at the top of that list, but it wouldn't be a surprise to see a team, you know, like a Purdue, like maybe, you know, a a transformed Nebraska with a new quarterback, you know, all these teams have a chance to to really make some noise there. And it could just wind up being an ugly dogfight where, you know, the winner of the Big Ten West is sitting there at nine and three or eight and four. And that's good enough to to get the job done. But I'm going to pin you down again, Gene, because you brought it up. All the previews we've done, we're essentially done, right? We're going to talk about Michigan, but next week's episode will be very much about the game preview with Notre Dame. If I had to pin you down right now, give me a team from whom you could see a a Michigan State-esque step forward this year in the Big Ten. In the Big Ten as a whole or just in the West? Either or. Dealer's choice. All right, that makes it a little bit easier. I I think I am... Probably not correctly. I, I think I'm I'm higher on Maryland than I should be. Um, I know they play in the East. They play in the tougher side of the bracket. They're going to have to play all those teams. I just think talent-wise, they may not play out in the records because of the team they play, but I think they have the most talented offense in the conference other than Ohio State. Um, I, I don't, I'm not, you know, I don't think Talia Tagovailoa is an otherworldly talent, but I think he's a very solid quarterback. I love their receivers. I think their offense is going to be really solid. I think they have a good enough defense to complement it. They're not one of these teams in the conference who are, you know, incredibly lopsided on one side. Obviously, their offense is much better, but I think their defense is solid as well. Um, and so I think I'm higher on them than I probably should be. So if I was going to pick a team that kind of 
nobody is really, you know, picking to win any of the sides. I'm not picking them to win the East by any means, but I think they'll be better than people will give them credit for. Um, so I'll probably go with with Maryland. I don't really love any of the the teams in the West to make any sort of meteoric rise. I kind of expect that more of the status quo, you know, some teams are, are better than others, but I think it's going to be more or less the same of what we usually see over there. I'm actually with you. I would probably pick Maryland. And then if I had to go with a second school, I would cheat just a little bit because of the talent. I would say Penn State. Maybe they get back to nine or 10 or potentially even 11 wins. I'd have to go back and look at the schedule again, but we did their preview and they've recruited well. They've got the five stars that came in this year. Maybe Drew Aller takes over and he's the next um, you know, freshman sensation. So those would be the two schools that come to mind for me, but I'm with you. Maryland is at the top. Yeah. So that being said, now that we both agree on the Terrapins, they are not winning a single conference game this season. <laughs> Probably so not. I apologize to all the Maryland Terrapins fans out there. Um, my bad. Uh, but other than that, Josh, do you have anything else on these two teams before we get out of here? I'm, I'm actually really excited for next week to get into our first real you know, game preview pod. Obviously, we're going to talk Michigan. We're going to preview a little bit of Ohio State season as a whole. But as we're going to you know, do all of their games week after week, we're not going to go too – we'll probably go pretty deep in the Ohio State roster just because we're talking about the Notre Dame game as well. But we'll see how that all goes. But I'm excited to have an actual game to talk about next week on the schedule. Um, and we're going to have some football this weekend. You know, We're going to have a rousing Northwestern Nebraska game that will be coming off the high of, I'm sure, when we're recording the next podcast. But I think as far as you know, the Big Ten West, Iowa, Wisconsin are, are, are concerned, I think we're pretty much wrapped up here. Yeah, I have nothing else. I would say that I'm equally excited for football to start being played and to happen. And the only other thing that I'm really looking forward to is the SB Nation sites for these two schools because there have been some bangers throughout this Big Ten preview. Yes, um, I'm I'm not promising any bangers this time around, but as we have done all the times, we'll lead you to the Big Ten sister sites of these teams that are along with us on the SB Nation umbrella. Uh, that would be Black Heart Gold Pants for Iowa and Bucky's Fifth Quarter for the Wisconsin Badgers. So that's where you could go for more coverage on either of these Big Ten West teams. Um, and I think that's really more or less it. We're going to have a ton of written content here, um, especially next week heading into the Notre Dame game as we will be ramping up all of our coverage heading into the regular season of college football. Um, we are all very excited, I'm sure. Um, but that being said, be sure to you know like, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff to the podcast asks you to do. And for Josh Julie, I am Gene Ross. And as always, go Bucks.